0: Good morning, beloved Orangewood. Is it not better to have Advent in weather like this? I mean, come on. Does it not make you more excited for Christmas? Is it ever bad to have snow during Advent season? It was this weekend. Uh, It's interesting. Our our daughter, Allie, uh, took all of her exams early to fly back for yesterday's memorial service for my mom. Um, And she gets to the Atlanta airport, snowed out. So she couldn't make it. I'm like, oh, I love snow. Oh, I hate snow. But uh, for those of you, I don't know where you are. I grew up with a lot of it. Uh, love this kind of weather. But no matter what the weather is, isn't it great that we can gather in the warmth of God's love? Isn't it awesome that we can, no matter what time of year, to become together, be reminded of who God is and how God loves us? If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at two places today. Actually, probably even a couple more. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 19. And there we're really going to just have one verse there that's going to propel us to Romans 5. We're going to actually kind of marinate today in Romans 5 as we continue our Advent series called Christmas in Reverse. What we're doing uh, this Advent is we're uh, kind of looking at Christmas from what's the whole point of his coming? He came to seek and to save the lost. And how does he save us? It's through his life, death, and resurrection. So last week, we focused on uh, the reality of a, a Savior who would come to die for us And what we're going to do in the next couple of weeks is we're going to unpack, how does that death work for us? What are the components needed? If God would love us so much and he'd send his son, what did the son have to possess? What are the qualities the son had to have for us to be saved? And so today we're going to focus on his humanity. It's celebration that God became flesh. And my hope and prayer, if we navigate this correctly, on Christmas Eve when we gather back and we look at the manger, that's where we're going to end on Christmas Eve, we'll say, oh, my goodness, I get it. I get it. I mean, right there in that that straw, in that uh, cradle, that is God's son. That is son of man, son of God, savior of the world. And I understand more why he came from me. Understand what was needed. So that is our hope and prayer uh, this Advent season. Everybody loves a David and Goliath story. If I tell you David and Goliath's story, I bet you already know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a story of one who's an overwhelmingly underdog, an overwhelmingly odds against them, facing some kind of giant and wins. We, we, we love those stories. Uh, it's more than just athletics. It's the story of life. We, we cheer for the underdog, don't we? we? We want the little guy to have his own. We want to make sure the big guy goes down. Well, the original David and Goliath story is found in the Bible. You probably know that. It's 1 Samuel 17. It's a great story. Recommend you to, to read it anytime. And the story is basically this. You have two enemies at war. You have the, you have the Philistines and the Israelites. And they always seem to be at war, by the way. And the scene of the original David and Goliath, uh, story is that they have two different sides of a mountain. And in between is a valley. And the valley is where the battle lines are drawn. It's very interesting is that the Philistines, they have this this giant, this, this one, uh, according to Scripture, he's like nine feet tall. He's like really, really big. And he's an incredible warrior. And he represents the entire Philistine army. Uh, it's basically he comes out and says, hey, listen, send me an Israelite to fight me. And if if he could beat me, you guys win. But if I win, we win. It's kind of interesting because really what is happening here is that they're sending one guy out to represent the whole ar- army. And as that one warrior goes, so goes the war. So goes that, that victory. So they're placing all their faith in one of them. One man represented them all. Well, the Israelites didn't have any man to send against that giant. They were terrified, like, oh my goodness, we're getting whooped. Who in the world can face this guy? And you know the story? Uh, there was a little boy, a little shepherd boy named David, uh, that he would go and say, I'm, I'm going to take on him, not because of my strength, because we go in the name of the Lord Almighty. And so he goes, and the weapon of choice, are some smooth stones and a, and a slingshot uh, to go out and face the giant. Well, I, I trust you know how the story goes. If you don't, again, uh, 1 Samuel 17. Well, many people hear that story, even the Bible story, and they think the point of the story is this. Hey, be like David. Be like David. Have faith like David. Face the giants in your life. Many will say the story's point is, well, face giants in your life without fear. And and that's a good point, but that's not the point of the Bible. It really is going to point to a greater story. You see, King David's life, according to Scripture, especially when Jesus emerges, King David's life was really just foreshadowing the arrival of a greater king, a king named Jesus. And Jesus would come, and here's the beauty of this, this Jesus, he represents us all. He's a warrior that represents us all. So as Jesus goes, so go we. And so Jesus will come, and he will fight the giant of sin and death. And if he can defeat sin and death, we can live in him as David's victory was all of the Israelites' victory and the one that he represented. So is Jesus' victory for coming over sin and death. It's our victory because why? One represents us all. Well, this Advent, again, we're traveling backwards. We're going to see this uh, Christmas in reverse. And last week we looked at, we got to begin with the ending in mind, that one of those uh, seven habits from Stephen Covey. Uh, begin with the ending and end in mind and how do we do that well let's go back to jesus's name Uh, when jesus was given a name not by mary and joseph but by god was told what his you shall call him it's very important that we understand It it says you shall call him jesus why because in that name jesus is savior because he will rescue he will save his people from their sins Well, we're going to look at this week that Luke 19.10 says that the Son of Man, he's fully man, this Jesus, and we'll see next week fully God. He came to seek and to save the lost. That was his whole purpose. Give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people. This is his whole mission. He's going to rescue us. And we looked at last week, for him to rescue us, it wasn't enough that he came as a good teacher or moral example. That wouldn't save us. We're that bad. He had to come to die die as a man, to live as a man, to rescue us. We're going to look at this morning that according to the Bible, it was one man that represented us, Adam, that got us into this mess. The mess of a broken world, the mess of your broken world internally, the the mess of your family, uh, the mess of your community, the mess of this world, it can all be traced, biblically speaking, back to one man. One man who represents us all. It's always been God's plan that man would be the one who got us into this mess, and man's got to be the one who gets us out of this mess. And so that he will send his son, he will put on flesh, born of a woman, so that one man can rescue us all. To rescue us, we're going to look at also that Jesus had to do two things. Two irreplaceable things had to happen. Jesus had to relate to us. God had to relate to us. More than just making us in his image. God would become One of us. That's the profound mystery of Christmas and the beauty of Christianity. Incarnate, God incarnate, God in flesh to relate to us. The son of man, it would say, had to be made like us. Hebrews 2.17 says it this way. That Jesus, this incredible high priest, this incredible uh, God's son, he had to be made like us in every way. In every way be like us. And I love what it says in Hebrews 2.11. Although he is made like us, God put on flesh. He's not ashamed to call his brother. He's not ashamed because he would lower himself to that. He'd be, he'd be tempted for us. He'd be tried for us. And scripture will say that we have a God who sympathizes with us. Why? He came, to be, he came one like us. So what does this mean? It means that God gets you. He gets you. Don't, don't, don't think that he's just so big and far off. He gets you because he came to seek and save you. And the only way he could do that is become like you in every way. That's awesome. If that's, a, if that's the Christmas story alone, we have reason to celebrate. But it's more than that. He, did not, he came not only to re- relate to us, he came to represent us. Re- represent us. That in his life is our life. In his death is our death. In his resurrection is our resurrection. That God the Father now sees us in Christ Jesus. That everything that he has done, he has done for us in his Father's glory. His victory, our victory. He tasted death so that we can taste life. He represented us in every way. Let me tell you, there's a story here, the incredible story of the Bible. The Bible narrative, there's really, there's two great acts of history. There's two great acts of history in the Bible. The first one is the act of creation in Adam in the garden. And it basically says this, as Adam goes, so goes all of humanity. But the second act, the even greater act, is the act of Jesus coming to rescue us. And as Jesus goes, so goes all of humanity. This morning, we're gonna look at two things. One man's transgression that ruined us all. You wanna know why everything's such a mess? Well, according to the Bible, it came because of one man's transgression that ruined it all. And we'll also see one man's righteousness that rescues us all. So let's look to God's word. We're gonna look in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. That will be our springboard. And from there, we will turn to Romans, Romans 5, 12 through 21. No matter if we're in the gospels or the epistles, Genesis to Revelation, this is all God's word. And God gives us his word, not just to entertain us, but to transform us. So why don't you lean in, because God would love to speak to you today today. If you don't have your bibles it's listed for you in the bulletin. We'll read uh Luke 19:10 and then we will uh jump to uh Romans. Hear the word of the Lord. For the son of man, that's Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Now Romans 5 verse 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam." Who was a type of the one who was to come? Now, interesting. It's basically saying that Adam was a type of one to come. It's going to link Adam to Christ. But the free gift is not like trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You think Paul's making it important? One man, one man, Adam, one man, one man, Christ. And he's paralleling these two. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So it has sin reigned in death. Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this incredible story of yours that shows us that really the whole Bible reflects two acts, the acts of two men that represented us all, the act of Adam in the garden and the act of Christ Jesus uh, here on earth as well. Uh, Father God, I pray that you would come and you would speak to us and make clear to all of us what does this really mean? Not just what does it mean for us to have an intellectual understanding, but what does this mean for us to have life and faith and all the things, justification that you tell us that is, that is graciously ours in Christ Jesus? Jesus, you as a son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you seek us again this morning? Would you remind us of the salvation that you freely offer us this morning? May there be someone who maybe even understands it for the very first time. But may all of us delight in the reality of what you have done for us, Jesus. Give us ears to hear the Father's voice, minds to understand your word. Father, we ask that you give us hearts to embrace your love and your truth. And that, God, you would be with us so powerfully that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your great name. The things that I say are wrong or merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you're going to find an outline. We just have two points this morning. The first one is this, a one man's transgression that ruins us all. Again, the Bible, that's basically a story of how these two men represent all of humanity. Now, we may not like this. We may wanna say, I wanna represent myself. I don't want someone else standing in my stead, especially as Americans. We love this rugged individualism. We love the fact that, that we relate to God on our own, and that's true, but you have to understand that in the Bible, we are seen and represented to God by one of two men adam as he was created represented us all in that garden and through his rebellion and sin brought death and condemnation for all of us you want to know why the world is messed up it's adam's fault i was talking to my brother this weekend who's uh hoping to transition from buffalo where he's lived for 30 plus years to florida would you not want to do the same he says, you know, I want to come down here, maybe, maybe get a job that's really easy, or get a job that's not a burden, get a job that's kind of, doesn't, is not very stressful, I want to get a job, I'm like, dude, that's not a job, man, That's just, that's a vacation, right, and not even that. Uh, Because we know that uh, scripture says because of the fall of of Adam that our work is going to be by the sweat of our brow. Life is going to be hard. Thorns and thistles grow. We live in a completely broken world. Why? Because of one man's disobedience. It says this one act of rebellion against God. What did it bring? It brought death and condemnation to us all. But I love what Romans 5 is going to tell us. It's going to give us hope that we'll get to, that there's another type of Adam. There's another one, like Adam was created sinless. This other one that would come would be born sinless. He, too, would represent all of his own. And as death was brought by one, life would be brought by the other. So let's look at this one man's transgression that basically ruins us all. It's because of that rebellion of God. God placed Adam in a perfect environment. He gave, made Adam holy and righteous with a disposition of loving and knowing God. Adam didn't know sin. Uh, there was no history of sin. There was no residue of sin. And probably the greatest mystery in all the Bible is why in the world would he ever choose it? He's made holy. And God gave, put him in the garden and says, listen, as long as you obey, you're gonna live. And that life is going to be yours. But as soon as you disobey, what's going to come across that is going to be the death and the reaction. And he represents us all. It says in Romans 5, verses 12 and 13, that there's like this sin's reaction. I love how Paul says that through one man's sin, sin entered the world through that one man, Adam. And even let's hit pause and say the name Adam, it basically means humanity. It basically means us. It's just, just as Jesus' name means Savior, Adam's name means humanity. He perfectly represents us in that garden. And as he sinned, sin entered the world through that one man. And then what happened? He, he told us, Adam, if you sin, you're surely going to die. And because of that sin, death has reigned. If, I hope you read through the Bible next year. Let me encourage you to do it. Uh, it's, it's an incredible thing. Um, I'm finishing up this year's read-through. I'm already excited. I've already bought my Bible for next year. Usually in December, I always buy my new Bible that I'll be reading through for the following year. And when you start off in the book of Genesis, there's a lot of genealogy that you can get lost in. And there's a lot of, it'll show you that there's a promised seed to come and that seed will lead to a savior. But it'll also tell you of of a rebellious seed. And here's what it says about everyone who was born. And they died, and they died, and they died, and they died and they died. It's like a, it's like a beating drum. It's, it's thunderous. No matter how long they live, no matter what they did, and they died, and they died, and they died. And the beat keeps going. And they died, and they died. How many empty seats are next to you today with the reality of, and they died? You see, because of this one man's rebellion of sin, death came to us all. And all of us, not only will sin, but all of us will die. Death spread to to all of humanity. There's no one who has not been affected because of Adam's transgression. And it brings about judgment. But here's what we gotta get to, because this is, you gotta go with me with a little bit of a theological twist here or, or, or understanding is probably a better way to say it. It's not saying this. It's not saying that, hey, we are like Adam. And because Adam sinned, we're like him, we sinned. Because he sinned, we sin and we die. According to scripture, there's a very interesting aorist tense of, of a verse. It's a past tense of a verse. Because of his sin, it says, all sinned. It's kind of like, wait a minute, wait a minute, he sinned, all sinned? It's, it's, it's saying it in a way that this or something happened in the past that has consequences for all of us. And here it's what it's basically saying is that, that we all sinned in Adam, that, that he represented us. And when he sinned, guess what? We sinned. It's according to the Bible, Adam's sin is our sin. And there's even more than that. This, this is amazing. Adam's guilt is our guilt. So it's basically saying this, is that this one who represents all of humanity, as he goes, we go, and you sinned in him. You and I are guilty because he is guilty. How does it make you feel? Somebody wants to cry out, not fair, right? Someone probably wants to say, it's just not right. I don't want to go anywhere near politics, but here I go. Some people say, not my president, for matter who's the president. But it's kind of like, you could say it's not your president, but if you're an American, it's your president. Uh, I'm, making, I'm making no references to it. But the reality is, if you are a citizen of this country, you are represented by that president. And if you are a human, you are represented by, you can't say, Adam's it's, 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 it's not mine. Adam's is God's choice for our representative. God placed him there for us. And because of his one action, we are all guilty. Now, we're all still sinning, we're all still a mess, and we're all still dying. But sin and death entered the world through him and even our guilt in that one act. Hmm, doesn't feel good, does it? All men die, not because we're like Adam, but because, ready for this, because we're in Adam. When Adam sinned, so did we. What? Let me tell you how the Westminster Confession of Faith says it. And ask the question in question sixteen of the shorter catechisms: Did all mankind fall at Adam's first transgression? It says the covenant, the, the covenant, the, the uh, agreement between God and man, being made with Adam, was not only for himself but for his posterity, for his children. All mankind descending him, from him by ordinary generation—that that just by reproduction of uh, the human race will be filled—that we all listen to this sinned in him. And fell with him in his first transgression. So, according to the Bible, that you and I are all represented in Adam. As Adam goes, so does he, so do we. And how'd he do? Well, there's a chain. He sinned, he brought about condemnation, death, and judgment. And it's going to be true for all humanity. But the beautiful thing about Romans 5 is it turns the corner. And it says, as we are all represented in Adam, let me tell you about the better Adam. Let me tell you about the one who's gonna come and do a whole lot better. We're represented in Christ Jesus. And this is the second point. One man's righteousness that rescues us all. Listen, it was a man that got us into this mess and God's planet could only be a man who gets us out of this mess. Jesus had to come. He had to come fully God, but he had to come fully man." Remember, fully man to do two things, to to relate to us, but also to rescue us. And we love the fact that he relates to us. But listen, he he not only came so he knows our sorrow and sympathizes with us, he came to fully represent us. Watch this. All that God requires of us, he's holy God. God provides for us in Christ Jesus. One man ruined everything, and it's God's plan that the one man is going to have to do this right. There has to be an act of obedience. Many people in our culture will look to God and say, well, he's a loving God. He's a merciful God. And, and so therefore, a loving, merciful God, he, he'll just deal with my sins. It'll be okay that, that God will see the good and the good will outrage the bad. But that's, that's not the Bible story. The Bible stories that we're all a mess, that together we're dead in our trespasses and sins. There's not one who is righteous. That we have no hope apart from, from a God's mercy, but we also have to meet God's requirements. You see, God, God can't maintain holiness and mercy. He can't hold those together without Jesus coming and living the life that we failed to live, dying the death we deserve to die in being resurrected. Listen, there's no hope apart from him. There's no hope apart from him. God is not going to change because of, because of us. God is going to become one of us to rescue us, but he's not going to say, oh, your sin's no big deal. Oh, you know what? This perfect obedience stuff, it doesn't really matter. It does. One man would accomplish everything that one man ruined And in Christ Jesus, he does. He restores and he rescues. He came to say, i gave, come to give life and life abundantly. Jesus says, I've come to make all things new. I've come to reverse the curse. I've come to do it. And we realize the beauty of that is that Jesus' life and his death and resurrection, here's what we see. We see grace. We see God's gift of obedience, justification, life and life eternally. Now let's, let's, let's unpack this. Let's just stop and understand this. In Adam, it says, we're all represented and we're all guilty. Now watch this, that in Christ Jesus, for those of us who by God's grace have placed our faith and hope in him, in Christ Jesus, it says, we are all justified. We're all declared not guilty. How does he do that? How does he do that? Does he declare us not guilty? Does he have to mar his justice? Say, okay, forget it, I declare you're not guilty. No, 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 we are not guilty because Jesus wasn't guilty. We are not guilty because Jesus was enough. He perfectly fulfilled the law. We're not guilty because Jesus' act of righteousness. It's incredible. As in Adam, we are all guilty. In Christ Jesus, we are declared not guilty. We're justified, we're free. In Adam, death reigns. In Christ Jesus, life reigns. In Christ Jesus, listen, all that God requires of us, God has provided for us. And in Romans 5, it starts to unpack beautifully this grace chain reaction. He says this in verse 15 and following. It's a free gift. This is the grace of God. This is justification. This is the free gift of, of, of righteousness. This is life and life eternally. Let's hit pause and say this is basically what it means. You are sitting here today, no matter who you are, no matter what you look like, no matter what your background is, scripturally speaking, biblically speaking, you are sitting here, you are being represented by one or two Adams. The first Adam, you are sitting here in sins and brokenness and separation from God. You are guilty because of Adam's sin and your sin. You are separated from God and you are in darkness according to God. Or if you are sitting here and by God's grace, You have embraced Christ as Savior. You are in Christ. You are beloved. You are forgiven. You are adopted. You are his. So where do you sit? Do you sit in Adam, the first Adam, or do you sit here in Christ Jesus? And if you sit in Adam, we, we have this incredible salvation that God offers to us. You can never earn it. It's freely given. It's a gift. It's embraced by God's grace through faith in the one who has done it all for you. Man, do not tarry from that gift. Do not turn from that gift because only that gift will set you free. But for those of us who sit here in Christ Jesus, I mean, I hope that you want to get up and dance. I hope that you want to just say, are you kidding me? That my life is credited in Christ's life. The way the Father sees me, the way the Holy Spirit fills me is the reality of of what Christ has done for us. You see, that's the gospel, the good news of what God does for sinners like us in Christ Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And the only way that this could happen, we had to have a son of man. We had to have one who put on flesh to come and battle the Goliath of sin and death. It had to be a man. And it had to be that one man, Christ Jesus. And in that one man, we have victory. Now, here's... Here's one more piece of the puzzle you can't miss. We're even better than what Adam had. You see, Adam was created in righteousness and holiness. Adam had a relationship with God that in the beginning was unbroken by sin. They hung out together in paradise. It sounds fantastic. But Adam had it. But listen, Adam was made in original righteousness, but Adam had a righteousness, watch this, that he could lose. He had a relationship with God that he could lose. He he can lose that. Why? If, conditionally, he sinned, and he sinned, and he lost it. But here we have in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, not by our works, but by God's grace through faith, we have the righteousness of God. And you ready for this? You can't lose it. It's not about you and me and our morality. I mean, God has given us, he's worked new creation in us, that there's a righteousness, there's a life, there's life eternally that we can can't lose in Christ Jesus. Because he who began the good work in us, he's faithful and completed. And you have this beautiful golden chain, to those he foreknew, he also called. To those he called, he also justified. To those he justified, he also glorified. There's this reality that he's not losing any of us. And we got to kind of get over our own morality and our own life of trying to say, am I good enough to God? If you're a child of God, the question always is, is Jesus good enough to the Father? And the answer is yes. We have something in, in, in Christ Jesus that's so much better than Adam ever had. A righteousness of God by God's grace through faith that will lead to not only life, but life eternally. It says this, the Son of Man... He came to seek and to save the lost. And to do that, the son of man had to become man. Man to relate to you and me as a man, but more than that, to represent us as a man. And now, man, the abundance of life in him. Who represents you? Who represents you? You may not want it. You may even say, I didn't vote for him. I, I don't want Adam to represent me. Well, biblically speaking, that's God's representative for you. You're represented by either Adam or Christ. Life, death, condemnation, or being declared not guilty. How is it with you? if the reality is you're in Christ Jesus, oh man, go and tell a world of a love that's transformed you and set you free. And if you've yet to embrace Christ, may today, may this hour be the hour that you realize there's the ultimate gift that's been given to us, and his name is Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, your story is a great story, and it's sometimes hard for us to see that there's really just two incredible acts of history, the act of creation in Adam and the act of redemption in Jesus, and that all of humanity, every tribe, tongue, and nation, everyone who's ever breathed one breath on this earth is represented by one of those two, one of those two Adams, one of those two representatives of yours. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning that that isn't in Christ, maybe they think there are because they're religious or they're moral or they went to church or they had some sacrament done or something like that, but they're not yours because you don't know them and they don't know you in a salvific, salvation way. May today be the day that you give them eyes to see, eyes to see the reality of their brokenness and who they are still guilty and before a holy God. But God... Give them the grace to believe and embrace Christ and experience life and life abundantly. But oh God, for those of us who are yours, turn our eyes again on Jesus. May we be mindful that you see us in and through him. And we thank you for that reality in Christ's name, amen.